welcome to Theology Matters. This is Dr. John Clark. And uh, today we want to continue our study uh, looking at the false gospel response cliche of asking Jesus into your heart. And uh, last time we looked at uh, the history of asking Jesus in your heart and just analyzed how this phrase may have developed over the years. Uh, We also had recommended uh, a great resource put out by Grace Gospel Press, and it's a booklet written by Pastor Dennis Roxer called Seven Reasons Not to Ask Jesus Into Your Heart. Uh, Very, very good read and very recommended read. And we had also made just a couple of introductory comments uh, about the phrase really impacting children's ministries. And as children's ministries became more formalized over the years, how this cliche has really just exploded in terms of its popularity. And so many people at this point would ask, well, who cares? Does it really matter? And um, what I want to look at in this session is are some common objections um, to to taking issue with with asking Jesus in your heart. And so the first objection I want to look at is really the, the, the objection where someone says, isn't this all just a matter of semantics? In fact, in many discussions I've had with people over the years, this has been their exact response. So, well, yeah, but you know what they mean. This is just a matter of semantics. And so, you know, my, my formal answer to that, my official answer is um, yes and no. It is, it is a matter of semantics. Yes, it's a matter of semantics if you mean by that that, that word meanings and definitions of words are very important. Uh, my answer is yes, if you mean that God intended to use words in their normal way to communicate how one is saved. And so if, you, if you're asking me, do I believe words matter? Um, clearly I do. And so, and the, and the goal then is to find out what does the Bible say, not what does uh, the, the latest Lifeway literature say, or what was I taught in Sunday school, but what sayeth the scriptures? And so that's uh, when I say no, uh, that semantics don't matter. Uh, and, and I kind of say this facetiously. Um, if you think that trusting in Jesus Christ and his work for you alone and asking Jesus into your heart is really saying the same thing. Um, that's where a lot of people, I think, are sincerely at. They just, they say, well, yeah, isn't this semantics? Aren't we saying the same thing? Uh, and the answer is really, no, we're not. We're not saying the same thing. And just to, to use just kind of a, a straightforward for, uh, argument for that, just look up the words ask and faith in just the modern uh, everyday thesaurus. You can go to thesaurus.com. And what you're going to notice is when you look at synonyms for ask and synonyms for faith, there is absolutely zero overlap in our modern day understanding of the two words, nor is there overlap in the meaning of the original Greek words for ask and faith. And so by by definition, this means they're not saying the same thing. And in fact, when you think about the way that we use the words, there is absolutely no setting in the United States where, except for local churches sharing this gospel, this false gospel response cliche, where asking and believing or trusting is is considered synonymous. Imagine going in uh, to a grocery store and attempting to ask them, 
where you could, you know, the, the bread, the bread aisle is completely empty. Do you have any more bread in the back? Now that's asking them if they have bread in the back. Imagine if you went up to them and said, your bread aisle is completely empty, but I trust that you have bread in the back. One is assuming the reality of knowledge or, or trusting in, in knowledge or trusting in an understanding. One is unsure. One is asking because since you have not been in the back, you haven't seen whether or not they have bread. You're asking. The answer could be yes or no, uh, depending, depending on whether or not they have it. Now, if you have been in the back and you've seen stocks, uh, you know, or, or just piled high, um, then of bread, then you know, they have bread and you know that you can get it. So there's, there's a difference between asking and trusting in something, asking someone for something and trusting that someone has already done or is, or in something that someone will do are two different things. In fact, when you think about the word asking, it implies that the action has not been done yet. Believing is trusting that the action is already done. And so when somebody says, you know, isn't believing in Jesus Christ and asking Jesus in your heart, aren't those two saying the same things? Clearly they're not. Um, If words, if we expect words to mean or to to maintain meaning uh, in terms of how they're used. And so that's objection number one. Objection number two is uh, kind of the sincerity objection. Well, does it really matter as long as you're sincere? Someone might say, doesn't God know everyone's heart? And, and you know, that's a good question. Does God know everyone's hearts? Of course he does. But let me ask you this. Let's put something, uh, let's put a couple of things that are just as unbiblical. And what I mean by that is they're not mentioned in the scriptures. Let's put that in comparison with asking Jesus into your heart. Do you think that anyone has ever gotten saved by lighting candles, by doing good works, by trying to keep, keep the Ten Commandments? And we would clearly, those of us uh, who have studied the scriptures know that that's clearly not how somebody is saved. And yet, couldn't those people be just as sincere as someone who was asking Jesus into their heart. And yet it's it's an equally unbiblical comment. Uh, it's an equally unbiblical phrase as all of these things. And so why would asking Jesus into your heart be any different than, say, lighting candles, doing 20 jumping jacks, or any other activity that you could think of that's not in the Bible as a requirement to get saved? Why would that be okay based on sincerity? Now, I should say this at this point, because if you're anything like me, if this is the first time you've heard this, you might be getting angry. And I, I can relate to that. The first time I heard it, uh, I also got angry. But, but understand this, we're not saying that everyone who has asked Jesus into their hearts is not saved. You know, that's a, that's a hard question to give a black and white answer to, because many people have been, uh, have been taught to put their faith in Christ and his finished work alone, but then they've been confused by the cliche later. In fact, one of the, one of those great examples of this, I think, uh, in terms of how easy it is to get saved is found in Acts 10 at the household of Cornelius. In fact, Peter had not even finished his sermon, um, and the Gentile believers there had put their faith in what Peter had said. They'd put their faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ before he had even finished his sermon. So I think people... 
uh, can get saved when they hear the gospel message and put their faith in Christ. It doesn't require any words to be said. Um, they can put their faith in Jesus Christ wherever they're seated, wherever they're hearing the message. Now, if someone five or 10 minutes later leads them in a prayer and they ask Jesus into their heart, um, the point is this, their salvation moment was the moment they put their faith in Christ. Nobody gets saved by asking Jesus into your heart. Um, but we can't say this with certainty. They're, they're, uh, you know, not everyone who has asked Jesus into your heart uh, is unsaved. I think there are some who have put their faith in Christ and may have been confused later. But we can say this with certainty. Some of these people who promote this cliche may themselves be saved, but their gospel will save no one. And and again, no one has ever been saved by asking Jesus in the heart. There's no record of it in the scriptures. And uh, we'll look at some scriptures here. In fact, one coming up that is very popularly referenced as a potential uh, place where it's teach it. And so objection three, uh, people will say, well, doesn't the Bible teach this? And you know, one of the things that we see is that the Bible, uh, there's no example where anyone is instructed to ask Jesus Christ into their hearts to be saved. And nowhere in the Bible is there an example of this happening. Um, and, and really, as, as Pastor Roxer says in his book, look, do we really need a reason past this one? Uh, that it's not in the Bible. There's not an example of it in Bible. It's not taught in the epistles. Do we really need any more reasons than that? Shouldn't that be enough? But you know, it, it probably is safe to assume that if you and I never listened to a Christian radio station or attended an evangelistic crusade uh, or, or a local church that uses this phrase, you could never conclude that you would do this simply by reading the Bible. It just wouldn't show up. And as we mentioned earlier, asking Jesus Christ in your heart and faith in Christ alone are not synonymous phrases. And many people um, think they say the same thing. In fact, I heard a man Um, a couple of years ago, do this at an upward soccer game. As he attempted to share the gospel at halftime, he read John 3, 16, and everything he was saying was perfect. Here's God. He's loving. Who do you love? The world. And what did he do? He gave his only begotten son. And what does that mean? That means Jesus died for us and rose again. And whosoever believes in him. And and then he said, and you see right there, you've got to ask Jesus in your heart. And I thought, wow, that's not what my Bible says. Uh, and in fact, you know, giving the guy uh, the the benefit of the doubt or showing grace, I think he believed it said the same thing. And clearly it doesn't. This is a, a true misunderstanding. Now, the other thing we want to we want to mention, and I think it's important just to throw out there, is that Christ does come and live in the believer's heart. But it's not when they ask him. It's when they put their trust in him alone. And you can see that in verses such as Colossians 1. 27, Galatians 2.20. And uh, I think that's an important distinction to make. Now, a fourth objection is this. What about Revelation 3.20? Doesn't Revelation 3.20 teach that you must ask Jesus into your heart? Well, let's look at Revelation 3.20 to answer that question. Revelation 3, what we find contextually is this is uh, Jesus' seven letters to the churches in Asia Minor. And so he's writing to the church at Laodicea. We see that in verse 14. But one of the ironic things about this verse and being used as a proof text to ask Jesus into your heart is this. The words ask, Jesus, and heart are not even found in this verse. In fact, let's read it. Revelation 3.20 
Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. And so ask Jesus and heart are not even found in this verse. Now, who's the audience? Well, I mentioned that earlier. It's the church of Laodicea. Look up at verse 14. He's not addressing an unsaved audience and teaching how they must be saved. In fact, we learn from this letter to this church that they were lukewarm, that they were really caught up with worldly success. They were very self-righteous and proud of the things that they were doing. And yet Jesus rebukes them and chastens them. And we learn from other passages, um, such as Hebrews 12, that, that Jesus only rebukes and chastens believers. He doesn't do that to unbelievers. It's kind of like when you've got children in the neighborhood misbehaving and your child's one of them, you may discipline your child, but you can't discipline other children in the neighborhood. And so he disciplines his own children. And then in verse 19, he tells them this, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten again his children. He says, therefore be zealous and repent. And this is a great use of the word repent. I think we can see it clearly. They needed to change their mind about the way they viewed themselves and their neediness, their, how, how needy they were before Jesus. And so when we get to verse 20, Jesus is standing at the door and knocking. What door is he knocking on? Well, I think from context, we can show that he was knocking on the door of the church. And Jesus says he will come into him, meaning into the church and over to the individual, not into him, inside the believer's heart. He's coming into the church over to the individual to do what? Well, to dine with him. That's uh, a phrase concerning fellowship. And so this is for the believer, not salvation for the unbeliever. 